The owners made another proposal to the players. What was in it? And why do the owners want control of the, the size of the domestic reserve list? And what did Scott Boris suggest about compensation for minor league players? Stay tuned. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated and lifelong advocate of minor leaguers. Thank you for making us your first listen every single day. And in that proposal that the owners made to the players, it wasn't completely accepted. There was some common ground, but there was a lot of things that came up for the first time that have to be worked on. The biggest thing to me that affects the people who are talked about on this show, the minor leaguers, is MLB wants control over the domestic reserve list. So the domestic reserve list is the is the, the official thing that decides that governs the number of minor league players a team can roster at any time. It is currently 180. Now, Major League Baseball has asked for control over the size of that before, and they've always been rebuffed. But they have asked for it again. And in that proposal, they said they want to keep the number at 180 for 2022. But then after that, they said it could go, quote, up or down. But... They want the ability to lower it as low as 150 over the length of time of the rest of the collective bargaining agreement. So as of now, 180 players is the limit. In the winter, they give you 10 extra. So it's 190. But five teams are currently over that 180 limit. Two teams are under the the future low threshold of 150. Now, we don't know exactly which teams are over, which teams are under. I can guess the Braves are probably under. They had so few players, they actually didn't field a Dominican team last winter. So I can guess that they're there. Uh, but this this is nothing... Like, it's not going to go anywhere but down. After MLB went and, and took over control of the minor leagues um, recently, I think it was... December 2020, they eliminated 42 teams from being affiliates of major league programs. And so it meant that 120 teams were evenly spread out over 30 major league clubs. Everybody had a triple A affiliate, a double A affiliate, a high A and a low A. Now, if you change the size of the reserve list, it doesn't affect the number of teams that you have because there's those were 10-year contracts and there's nine more years for that. It governs how many players a team can have in the entire system. And the team, that I mean, that includes every single player from MLB all the way down. Now, um, the league considers 180 to be high. And they say that it's high because you need to have extra players because of the missed year of development um, due to COVID-19. But it's something where this is part of a larger package. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, where everything that MLB does is part of a larger package of reforms. And they give the players some small wins while overall changing the package 
to to suit their wants and their needs. And so this package, this was part of the package that also had a limit on the number of options. So this is something that right now, you know, every guy has three minor league options. And what that is, is you can send him from the MLB team to the minors in a season. If you send him one time in the season, you have used one of his three options. You have three seasons where you can move them up and down. But if you're using an option that season and moving them up and down, you could do it an unlimited number of times. So the proposal here for roster continuity is you can move a guy, I guess you could move a guy to the minor leagues from the from the MLB level five times in a season. And I think about I think about the number of, of teams that have one of their minor league affiliates rather close to the big league club. The way it works now is if you've decided we have an option on this guy and we're going to use it, you could see, okay, example, the Braves. From Truist Park to uh, the Gwinnett Stripers, their AAA affiliate, it's 35 miles. Depending on Atlanta traffic, that could take you anywhere from 20 minutes to like an hour and 20 minutes. But the point is, 35 miles away. And the way it works now, you can take a guy, let's say Kyle Muller. You can have Kyle Muller at AAA. You can call him up to the big league roster to start, send him back down, and then on day four, bring him back up. And you can just keep doing that all season. There's very few restrictions as far as when they go down, how long they have to stay, uh, you know, every single time they're sent down. So the idea here is for continuity, you can send him down a total of five times in one season. Because, and then, you know, you've used his options for that season, you get five times to do it. So this package was together. They said, we will give you that if we have control over the domestic reserve list. And then there's some, and you have to forgive me for not necessarily thinking that the owners want control of the list for the best motives of the players. Last week, the owners had a, a consultant that I think I think the the sensational article said it was something like $400 an hour, but that in essence argued that minor league players should not be paid for spring training. Like they don't get paid now, but that that should continue because really the, the teams were the ones that were taking on the financial burden of paying for them, that uh, that training, that development that the players were receiving was worth $2,200 a week if you were to go get that privately. And to me, that's a really weird point to make because I understand you don't want to pay them during spring training. As as it is right now, they get per diem and that's it. They don't get paychecks during spring training. Uh, But if you're making the argument that the training and development they get from the team is worth $2,200 a week, you also have to acknowledge that you are requiring them to be in shape and be able to provide baseball services all throughout the winter and you're not paying them. So you're making them incur this cost. Like, like, this reminds me of that meme, like, congratulations, you played yourself. Like you, you kind of just completely undercut the financial structure of the minor leagues as you have established it because you have said, hey, We give them training that's worth a bunch of money in spring training. 
they're required to come to spring training in shape. They're required to come to spring training having worked on these things, having developed. You don't give guys a chance to play themselves into shape in spring training anymore. It is a it is a job interview from day one. And so if you acknowledge this is what that training's worth, now you've established a baseline for this is what we should be paying them in the offseason so that they can pay to train. There was a great article came out just, just this week about how a lot of minor league players have to do second jobs. They have to work like retail or Uber or construction and things just to be able to afford to pay for training over the winter break because they don't have any money. Because if you remember, their salaries oftentimes cap out at $12,000 for an entire year or $14,000 a year because they only earn salaries in season and they earn so little. So it's an odd case for me, like to try to make for me. I don't quite understand it. And in just, in just a minute, I want to tell you about what else was in that owner's proposal. There was some good stuff. There was some not so good stuff. But first, when we talk about good stuff, I want to tell you about our friends at Built Bar. Uh, Built Bars are the the protein bars covered in 100% real chocolate. I think they taste better than candy bars. They also have a great treat in the puffs. The puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallows. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, and they're also covered in 100% real chocolate. So all the Built Bars, low-calorie, high-protein. All the puffs, low-calorie, high-protein. Uh, most of the Built Bars have 130 calories, 17 grams of protein. They are good for you. Tons of different flavors. Um, peanut butter brownie is one of my favorites, but my daughter likes the cherry barcia. They've got coconut brownie, mint brownie, uh, new for the month of February, white chocolate cookies and cream. And these flavors rotate all the time. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 to get 50% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. So in this proposal, there was a lot of things I believe the actual official stat was 27 different points in this, over 130 pages. So they tweaked a lot of things. Uh, The two big things that they did not address, two of the big sticking points for the union, if you remember our three pillars, revenue sharing and years to arbitration. So uh, one of the things they did was competitive balance tax changes. So they offered to increase the first threshold. You remember the way it works right now is you have escalating penalties as you blow through the fir- the first threshold and then the second and then the third. And I don't believe anybody's ever made it to that third threshold. Uh, but under their proposal, the threshold would still start at $214 million in 2022. Um, there is a monetary penalty still, but there is no loss of draft pick compensation. You do not lose a third round pick in the amateur draft for eliminating, uh, for, 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 for passing for, for passing that threshold. So the idea is um, teams that are close and want to make an acquisition, that they can still do it. Now, the issue, the flip side of this, because every time you see MLB offer something, there's a flip side. The flip side is they've significantly increased the financial penalties uh, on, on all of the thresholds, even though four teams have only ever hit the higher $234 million threshold. Uh, which is the second of the three, uh, but they would they increase the financial penalties for all of those. So they take some, they lose some. They have offered 
to increase the minimum salary. This is the owners. The owners have offered to increase the minimum salary to the MLB level. You'll remember in 2020, they did raise minor league pay and they made a big thing out of promoting it and it's still under poverty wages. But progress, progress, folks. So the minimum salary increases. The The union has asked for $775,000 as the minimum. Uh, the the MLB has not said yes to that. What they have offered is two options. Option one is first, second, and third year players at $615,000, $650,000. And then they've upped that third one to seven twenty five. dollars So they're getting closer to where the players want to be. Or the other option is we a flat $630,000 and then the teams have the ability to give discretionary raises in years two and three up to them. So a little bit higher for everybody across the board from 615 to 630. But then anything above that, you have to rely on the largesse of your team to give you the compensation for that. So some teams do it. It sounds kind of, from what we've heard, it sounds kind of ridiculous. Some teams do it. Um, The pre-arbitration bonus pool. Now, both the players' union and... MLB have agreed to do this. The issues is how much and how is it decided? The league said, instead of 10 million, we'll do 15 million. We want to establish a six-person panel, three from the Players Association, three from the owner, like from, from MLB, from ownership, to develop some sort of war statistic to allocate the funds, the 15 million. And the top 30 players in this war statistic and anybody who won an award would be eligible for the bonus pool. The union has changed it and said, we're coming down from 105 to 100 million, but we don't want a committee and we don't want it to be arbitrary to a statistic. Anybody on one of those three lower level deals is eligible for the pool. So still have not decided what to do there. Uh, They do have something interesting here. The league has offered, has increased incentives um, to call up prospects. So what they're doing is they're offering two draft picks within a player's first three years, if they finish in the top three of the Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, or MVP voting. And previously, that was one pick per player in the first three years. I'm going to call this the Chris Bryant rule because obviously, you know, he he was 10, he was 10 days short of service time for 2015. And then 2016, he won the National League MVP. So if this rule had been in place, uh, they would have gotten a pick for him winning Rookie of the Year in 2015, and a pick for him winning National League MVP in 2016 had he had a full year of service time in MLB. And in his case, they held him down just long enough by 10 days to not get it. So again, the idea there is, you know, anti-service time manipulation. You have, If you think a guy is 100% for sure, you have a thing to gain by go ahead and bringing him up. And then something else that they... Uh, while we're, while we're naming rules after guys, let's call this the Kumar Rocker rule. They proposed um, draft-eligible players can submit a pre-draft physical to MLB by a specific deadline. And then if a team selects them, you are required to pay the player at least 75% of their slot value and you waive the right to fail them in a post-draft physical. So... You have an established list of people. This this is who was allowed to do these physicals on behalf of the league. We submit these medicals in advance. Teams know what they are getting into before they draft the player. And if you draft them, you cannot fail them for their medicals. 
I think this actually is not a bad idea. Um, the player still has the option to decline to sign if they don't like 75% of slot value. Uh, but this, I mean, I see the potential to abuse it, but I, I, I do think this is a good proposal, and I think this is probably something the Player Association should go after. The last thing that was offered is what they're calling draft and folly. I want to reinstitute this policy. This had been a thing for a while, and it, it was gone, then it, it left. But teams can draft a player who they think is not ready for professional baseball, send them to junior college for one year. And then the next, and then once that year is done, they can sign the player for up to $225,000. And the policy supposedly is meant to help players who display aptitude and ability, but haven't had a lot of playing time or are not mature enough for professional baseball. And I think this policy, more so than anything, the attempt to get back the draft and follow setup, kind of explains MLB's reasoning behind a lot of this stuff. Draft and follow, behind wanting control over the reserve list and things like that. MLB doesn't care about the player salaries in the minor leagues, okay? If you if you knock out 30 jobs out of the minor leagues, the total, okay, most of those are going to be lower level, obviously. They're going to be low A, uh, high A. You, you might just consolidate down into, you know. But anyway, what the money you save comes out to like 300 something thousand dollars and change. I mean, it is it is probably the gate receipts from a weekend series. It's not a bunch of money. What MLB cares about here, not the salaries, MLB cares about the player development costs. MLB's whole deal here is they want, as much as possible, they want to offload the cost of training and developing players and getting them ready for the major leagues onto whoever they can. Minor league players not getting paid in the offseason and not being provided access to training facilities, that has offloaded the off-season player development costs onto the players. Getting rid of some of those minor league affiliates, like they did last year, that has offloaded some of the costs of player development onto independent ball teams and you know, like independent minor leagues. There's been articles out there written. There was a great one just about two weeks ago about how some of the some of these uh, teams and some of these leagues how much they realized they had to start paying in food and salaries, all of these things that the, the major league team had always paid for. Obviously, now you have to pay for housing as well for your players. And then being able to, to go down to just one Dominican team or like Atlanta, not a Dominican league, league team at all. Uh, in the domestic reserve list, you'll notice the word domestic. There's a carve out in there. You're allowed to have 35 players at like in the Dominican Summer League, if you have one team, and 70 if you have two. So if you lower it from 180 domestically to 150, I'm willing to just about guarantee that most, most programs are going to go from 35 guys in the Dominican or at their academy you know, in Latin America to 70. And so now you've offloaded the cost of having to pay domestic rates for housing for food, for wages, and now you've moved those to a foreign country with a lower cost of living where you can pay less. And so, like, it's, it feels pretty obvious this is what ownership's goal is here. It's not the salaries. 
It's the cost of getting these players ready. Draft and follow. You draft a guy, and then he goes to junior college for a year. You're not paying the everyday costs of developing that player, and you have cost certainty over that player when you try to sign him the year after that because it's limited to $225,000. So this is the insidious thing that is that permeates all of this negotiation MLB has is they are willing to pay these stars. And we've, we've heard talent evaluators say that the guys that they care about are the ones that they've paid the big money to be in the organization. That's why MLB's fine limiting the draft to 20 rounds. And the Players Association has agreed to that. Because so many of those late round picks, those, I mean, 15 through 20 and then 20 through 25 and all of that, so many of those guys represent a much higher cost than they're probably going to provide in value to the organization. And so MLB is trying to find ways to minimize their financial exposure to this player development. And what I don't understand is it feels like this is an opportunity to to take advantage of a deficiency in the market. I want to talk more about that in just a minute. But while we're talking markets, I need you to know about our friends at Bet Online. Uh, the football season is now over, but Bet Online is still running. They've got markets up for pro basketball, for college basketball. It's not just those. They've got they've got NHL. They've got fighting sports. They have Olympic coverage up right now. You can place bets on the Olympics and what's going to happen in there. And so, go online. Check out the new updated website. Don't want to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season on betonline.net because it is the best spot for all your sports scores and news. BetOnline is where the game starts. Okay, so talking about some of these market market inefficiencies, and the thing that I never understood is you are trying to physically develop these players. You bring in a high school guy, and you're like, okay, the goal is for him. You remember from from yesterday's show with the Padres, the goal is for this high school guy to be in the big leagues in six years. If it's a a pitcher, you're looking at him throwing 100 innings in the big leagues within six years of being drafted. And so what I never understood is you're not providing the financial resources in the offseason, spring training, for these players to have proper nutrition, to have proper sleep, and to be taken care of. And we've seen progress on this front. Again, shout out to our friends, advocates for minor leaguers. They've gotten MLB to change the policy. Housing has to be provided beginning in 2022. Now, we still don't know what that looks like. There's still plenty of room for deficiencies in that program, but we know that it's going to be provided. I just never understood why teams, and I will give credit to to. I want to give credit. I can't think of who wrote. Oh, Mark Apple. Mark Apple, the number one, if, if you remember, one of the most notable number one overall picks that did not pan out, wrote a great thread on Twitter. I think it was Tuesday. And he was talking about living in the minor leagues and, and about like the biggest thing you have to deal with as a minor leaguer is the stress. It's the stress of not being able to afford the things you need to do to play baseball and get better. Like you look at big league players and they have agents, they have financial advisors, personal chefs. Uh, they have doctors to help them with their sleep and all of that. But 
minor leaguers, their biggest worries, and this is this is not just me speculating or Mark speculating. This is people have said this. They've come out and talked about this. Is housing, is food, and is off-season training. And so the goal to me should be simplify these decisions and just handle those things so that your players can do nothing but focus on getting better. Housing, we have a plan for that. So we're going to find out how well that plan is executed in 2022. But food, I've never understood why teams didn't just pay to have chefs buy fresh food and cook fresh meals for the players. Provide them proper nutrition. If you want if you want this 19-year-old kid to put on 10 pounds in muscle over the course of a year, he needs to be eating well. He needs to have enough calories to build muscle. He needs to get protein, hit macros. Hire a chef or two for each organization. Have them buy fresh food and cook food. And like, I never understood that. Off-season stuff, okay? Training. I don't kind of understand, like, I don't understand, like, strength coaches want to help these players get better, but they don't have access to the player, and the player doesn't have access to facilities. This seems rather simple. Pay them a salary to live and stay near your facilities and train in the offseason. Give them that option. And we've seen, we talked about this, we've seen the Cubs step up and do that. We saw, I think it was the Diamondbacks had, like, a week-long program where they did that. So it's starting to get better, but uh, Scott Boris... No, not going to, you know, people have opinions on Scott Boris. That's a different show. But he went on the podcast 755 is Real. It's a Braves podcast for The Athletic. And he was talking to them. And he had two ideas that I just wanted to briefly kind of bring up and mention and speculate on. And he said, option number one is, after three years in the minors, you get a $50,000 bonus. The pool for that money, it's not paid by the teams. The pool for that money comes from the player fines and penalties and things like that that are assessed throughout the season. So somebody gets suspended 50 grand for, you know, cussing out Joe West. That's where this money comes from. And then when you make, when you get a call up to the big leagues, if your signing bonus was under X millions of dollars, and he didn't specify a number, but I would imagine, I mean, most bonuses are not massive. I think outside of the first couple of rounds, you're usually looking at smaller bonuses. Then once you get called up to MLB, the fact that you made it to the major league level, you get a $500,000 bonus. So to me, after year three of the minors, you get a bonus. I understand that feels like the compromise between like, we don't want to pay them more. We don't want to pay every single player more. But if the player is hardworking enough and talented enough and has the financial resources enough to stick around for three years, because oftentimes they're having to like earn money in the offseason, we'll give them that bonus that we could have just given them in salary instead. I understand that lowers your total expenditure. Okay, I get that. Uh, when you make MLB, if your signing bonus is under X amount, you get a $500,000 bonus. I see two ways this can happen. I see, or two things that can happen with this. And thing number one is I can see the good coaches, the good managers, uh, understanding how much $500,000 can do for a guy and making a point to call up guys. And I'm, I'm assuming they're going to put some sort of guardrail on it. You have to be up for X number of days or you have to actually play in a certain number of games or whatever, but calling up a guy so he can get his bonus because, you know, life in the minor leagues is tough. Like I can totally see Brian Snicker who, 
coached in the minor leagues for 30-something years. I can see Brian Snitker understanding, hey, this guy at Double A, he's been in the organization now four years. You know, he got a $50,000 bonus last year. Um, the guy's married. He has a kid now. I'm going to call him up, let him sit up in the big league team for a week so he can get that bonus. The flip side of that is I can see the effort from MLB to try to go in there and say, okay, if the threshold to get the bonus is X million, let's say it's $2 million. We're going to sign, like if you were under that, you get the bonus. We're going to sign, we're going to offer a lot of our guys 2.1. Like whatever the number is, we're going to offer them just over the limit or we're going to sign them. We're going to take a hard line and sign them just over the limit so we don't have to pay out that bonus when they make the MLB level. I don't know if you have enough player penalties and fines to fund that pool as well, but I feel like those are your two most likely outcomes is you're going to have good managers and you're going to have uh, bad front offices. Try to game it both ways. But I'm excited to see where this comes out. I'm glad to hear that there is some things being done to try to help minor leaguers. Obviously, like I said, the pay is increased. The housing, really curious to see how that's going to go this year. Uh, the anti-service time manipulation is something that intrigues me. I wish it was more of a, it just like you didn't have to be top three in an award to get it, but I'm intrigued by that. The, the pre-arbitration bonus pool, another thing that can help get compensation to players uh, earlier than they would normally be able to get additional money at the MLB level. Again, doesn't do a lot for the minor leagues, but we'll see what happens. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. We appreciate you. Do us a favor, please like and subscribe. If you have any sort of questions or comments for the show, for me, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Farm. And until next time.